Let me be full. Let me be empty. Let me have all things or let me have nothing. So these are the words of the Wesley Covenant prayer for us to consider today. So we are working our way through this prayer. It was written by John Wesley, the founder of Methodism, as part of what he called a covenant renewal service to help the people called Methodists find renewal, rejuvenation in their faith. And we're working through that in this sermon series. But these words are not easy words for us to hear. They're not easy words for us to consider. Let me be full, let me be empty. Let me have all things or let me have nothing. They seem so countercultural to us. And I think that may have been why John Wesley made sure to include this punch of a line in the Wesley Covenant Renewal Prayer. Because the reality is this life, the Christian life, This idea of adventuring with Christ, of letting go, letting God be in charge. Well, it's hard. It is hard. It's countercultural. In the grand scheme of things, all of this goes against what we would expect, what we would value in our culture today. And so as we think about what does this life look like, what does the call of Christ look like? Well, one of the places where we see that in is in the Beatitudes, which is our scripture passage for today. So hear the word of the Lord from Matthew chapter 5, starting in verse 1. Now, when Jesus saw the crowds, he went up on a mountain. He sat down and his disciples came to him. So he taught them, saying, Happy are people who are hopeless, because the kingdom of heaven is theirs. Happy are people who grieve, because they will be made glad. Happy are people who are humble, for they will inherit the earth. Happy are people who are hungry and thirsty for righteousness, because they will be fed Until they are full. Happy are people who show mercy because they will receive mercy. Happy are people who have pure hearts because they will see God. Happy are people who make peace because they will be called God's children. Happy are people whose lives are harassed because they are righteous because the kingdom of heaven is theirs. Happy are you when people insult you and harass you and speak all kinds of bad and false things about you because of me. Be full of joy and be glad because you have a great reward in heaven. The same way people harass the prophets who came before you. So these words, these are hard words. And if we're honest to us, they are strange words. So the word that is repeated over and over again in this translation, the word used is happy. But if you're familiar with this text, you may have heard it also used blessed. 
So I chose the CEB translation, which uses happy. And the reason why I went ahead and went with this translation is because I think changing it from the word we might be used to, blessed, to happy, helps us see the contrast that is set up in these statements. It helps us see in this passage that can feel like familiar platitudes to us. It helps us remember how radical these words that Jesus is actually saying are. So anyway, let's back up a bit. Where do the Beatitudes come from? Where do they show up in scripture? Well, they're from a passage that we call the Sermon on the Mount. It's in the Gospel of Matthew that we're pulling this out of today. And so in the Gospel of Matthew, it's actually the very first sermon that Jesus ever preaches. So when Jesus gets the opportunity to set up his ministry, say for the very first time what he's about, what he's preaching, what the kingdom of God is all about, he brings out the Beatitudes. And so the location for this, the Sermon on the Mount, is, well, a mountain. And so there's a practical aspect to this. So Jesus' time, ancient times, they didn't have microphones. They didn't have megaphones. They didn't have screens where you could do a video camera and see Jesus bigger. So practically, he needed to get high up. He needed to get to a place where people could see him and hear him better. So number one, there's a practical aspect to where it took place. But second, there's also a theological implication of where this took place so in jesus's time all the heroes of the faith that came before him when they would give big speeches when they would give big teachings of the faith or leadership a lot of times those would take place on a mountain So Jesus came from a Jewish culture. It was very common in the Jewish culture, in the Hebrew Bible, for those great teachings and leadership moments to come from a mountain. Moses, for example, is one of those heroes of the faith that taught and led from a mountain. So this place of giving the Beatitudes from a mountain was a great symbolic moment from Jesus in preaching the kingdom and bringing his message. And so in all of this, what do we get From the mouth of Jesus. We get this list. Of very radical. Paradoxes. This very radical way. That we're called and we're told. To live life differently. Live life by a very different. Set of values. All in following Christ. So the teachings. Are opposite. All of this reminds us that when we follow Jesus, it is a call to go against the status quo. It's a life of valuing the things that Jesus valued. And so what did Jesus value? Well, he spells it out for us. Jesus valued people who were hopeless, reminding them that even they would get the kingdom of heaven. Jesus valued people who cared enough and loved deeply enough to grieve Reminding them that they would be made glad. Jesus valued people who were humble. Reminding them that they would inherit much. Jesus valued people who sought after righteousness. Ensuring them they would find it. Jesus valued those who showed mercy. Saying they would receive it in turn. Jesus valued the people who did the hard and the countercultural work of peacemaking peacemaking, ensuring that those would be children 
of God. People who found themselves harassed for going against the grain like Jesus called us to do. He said that those would inherit the kingdom of God. And so there's this principle, this theological principle that we talk about when we talk about that word, the kingdom of God, of what God has done for us in Jesus Christ. We say that the kingdom of God is something that is both already and not yet. It's both already and not yet. So there's things that we see and we experience and we can be a part of on this side of heaven because of what God has done for us in Jesus Christ. And there's also things that we are waiting for, that we are praying for, that we are hoping for, that we are counting on to experience in this life or in life beyond death. And so we can apply this same principle of already and not yet when we look at these paradoxes and these promises of the Beatitudes. We can live that out in an already and not yet way too. So we can engage in them. We can seek to live out this countercultural way of being, seeking to be the good and bring good into the world as God has called us to do. And we can seek and trust to live into little bits and pieces of those promises, the already and the not yet. But of course, all of this is hard. It's complicated. It's countercultural. So we might be wondering, well, how can I do it? What is the practical, real-life way I can actually do this? As we established at the beginning of the sermon, all this is hard. How can we actually do it in our own lives? How can we live into this line of the Wesley Covenant prayer to be okay with being full and empty, having everything or having nothing? Well, for us, it's All Saints Day. It's a day where we remember the stories of those who have gone on before us. Those who have lived out the promises, followed the life of Christ, lived out the promises of the Beatitudes in their own life and gone on before us. And so on All Saints Day, we can remember those stories. Seeing that those stories of those people can serve as hope, they can serve as inspiration, they can serve as guideposts for us here and now. And they can help us see practical ways we can live this out in our own life. And when we look at it that way, that becomes the beauty and the call and the challenge for us on All Saints Day. So as I read through the names on All Saints Day, many of those folks were folks that I had had the honor to do their funeral over this past year. And so I wanted to take the opportunity to make them be more than names for you all. I wanted to share their stories as an opportunity for you to see how I saw that they lived out the promises of the Beatitudes in their lives. So you can have an opportunity to get to know them a little bit better and for you to see a way how this might can be lived out in your life in a practical way. So the first one is Bill Hampton. Oh, I don't think his photo is going to come up. But it's fine. <laughs> so the first one is Bill Hampton, who is actually Meg, who sings up here's uncle. 
So Bill is a soul who I saw always showing mercy. So my story about Bill is that Bill decided one day that he was going to go hunting. He got it in his mind for the first time ever he was going to go hunting. So he got all the gear. He found his spot. He walked in the woods all day, waited out. And if you've ever gone hunting, you know, like, it's a long day that you wait it all out. And he waited and waited and waited. And finally, the animal crossed into his path. And so he got out his gun and he had been waiting and he got it exactly in his sights and he got his hand on the trigger and poor sweet Bill couldn't do it. He couldn't do it. He couldn't pull the trigger. And so he just left and said, well, I guess hunting's not for me. And the thing is, when his family told me that story, I was not at all surprised. Because every time I had entered the hospital room as he was nearing the end of his life, no matter what health condition he was going through, he was always kind. He was always gentle. He was always merciful. That story seems so on track with the man that I had knew, always showing mercy. The other saint I want to show the story of is Jim Cottrell. So he is a church member who... If you know him, you'll understand why I say this. At least within the realm of his family, he sought to make peace. So he took the opportunity to make as many arrangements in advance as he could. So he set out and paid for as much of the funeral as he could. He donated his body to science to make it less of a burden on his family which was an amazing thing to do. But even more than that, so after his uh, marriage ended with his first wife, they both had children together. And so they both vowed to keep a good relationship with each other so they could keep a great co-parenting relationship together. And so as I was processing with the family, as we were officiating that funeral, we saw how true that actually was, how they all talked about how that peace was maintained through the family. Again, a lot of times in these situations, you see every reason for there not to be peace But that family brought peace. Jim was a person who brought peace for the sake of maintaining that relationship as a family. The next person I want to bring up is Janice Mitchell, who is someone who embodied humility. Again, it's a name you probably have never heard of, and yet she did a lot in her life. So from the time she was nine years old, she played piano in a lot of different United Methodist churches throughout Lakeland and all across the country as her husband served in the military. And so when they eventually settled back in Lakeland, her and her husband Bill were actually the ones who started the very first Boy Scout and Cub Scout troops here at this church, which is a ministry still going strong today. But it was something that they never really needed the credit for. And yet they were instrumental in getting that started. That humility and work ethic made that possible. And so the last person is Anne Morse. Again, a name you may not know, but has a very incredible story behind it. So Anne and her husband Andy sought to serve God and live their lives in service to others. So when they both retired, they were living in Michigan, and they learned that the United Methodist camp in Michigan was in need of a camp director. Now, did they have any experience in being camp directors or running kitchens or managing camp staff? No. But in retirement, they signed up to do that, 
And they did it for 10 years post-retirement. So they gave up their retirement to serve in that camp, serve that community, and just keep going. And I think about all the children, all the families, all the lives that they made an impact on just by saying yes. They were humble. They hungered and thirsted after righteousness. They showed mercy to others. And ultimately, they put their hope in God. Because they didn't know what they were doing, but yet they said, they said yes, and they were faithful to it. And so we give thanks for the lives of all of these saints and all of their examples. And we give thanks for the lives of our own saints, the people in our lives who have cared for us, who have loved us, who have taught us well how to love God and how to love our neighbors, how to live into the call to follow Christ and live out the Beatitudes better just by their own life examples. So Fred Rogers from Mr. Rogers' Neighborhood, who we've talked about a couple times in this service. So he had an exercise that he would often do with adults. I first saw this when he did it at an award show, and I'm sure he probably did it at other times as well. He would invite the audience to think of someone who was special to them and who made a difference in their life. And so I would invite us, friends, to do something similar this morning on this All Saints Day. I would invite us all to think of someone special to us who has gone on to be with God, who has taught us how to better live into the Beatitudes, who has taught us how to better live like Christ. So maybe it was a teacher who was always kind and merciful Maybe it was your dad who was a person who hungered and thirsted after righteousness. Maybe it was a dear friend who has gone on but yet was always humble. But friends, I invite us at this time, let's all take a minute together. Let's think of that person. Let's think of that lesson that we need to heed today and give thanks to God for that life. And for that example. So how proud, as Fred Rogers would say, how proud that person must be in the communion of saints that you thought of them. And that you learned something from their life and their example on how to be more like Christ. And so now, friends, let's take this time to close together by saying the words and praying the prayer of the Wesley Covenant Prayer, as it appears on our screen. I am no longer my own, but thine. Put me to what thou will. Rank me with whom thou wilt. Put me to doing. Put me to suffering. Let me be employed by thee, or laid aside for thee. Exalted for thee, or brought low for thee. Let me be full Let me be empty. Let me have all things and let me have nothing. I freely and heartily yield all things to thy pleasure and disposal. And now, O glorious and blessed God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, thou art mine and I am thine. So be it. And the covenant which I have made on earth Let it be ratified in heaven. Amen. And amen.
So friends, we thank you for being in worship with us today. So a little note before the benediction, for those of you who are staying with us for this potluck, we invite you to help us as we prepare to turn the room into an appropriate place for a potluck. But um, now, friends, let's hear the benediction. May we give thanks for the life of those who have gone on before us. May we give thanks for the teaching of Jesus Christ. And may we commit ourselves, friends, to that countercultural life that loves God, that loves others, that seeks to live in peace with one another. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen.